name is Brad. I'm the lead pastor here. Uh, communion Sunday, so we're not going to do Q&A today, uh, but we will get back to that, not next week, but the week after that. Uh, we have a fun mixer, ga- mixer game this morning. Maybe you've played this game. Uh, we're not really going to do a mixer mixer, but maybe you've played this game. Uh, the game is called uh, uh, Two Lies and a Truth. You know, you're with, you're with some friends and you're like, okay, uh, the, op- the idea is uh, tell me three things about yourself. Two of them get to be lies and one of them gets to be true. And then we as the group will try to determine uh, which is actually true. All right, so two lies and a truth. Uh, the first is this. This is for me. You're getting to know me, all right? Uh, the first is um, when I was 40, I, when I turned 40, I went skydiving over the desert in Sedona, Arizona. Secondly, uh, Michael Jackson's surgeon, his plastic surgeon, actually once operated on me. Number three, <laughs> number three, uh, I once rode my bike from Phoenix to Flagstaff. All right, so two lies and a truth. We're going to vote. Uh, see uh, what, what you think about my, uh, my uh, truth-telling ability or my lying ability. So who thinks that number one is true, that when I turned 40, I went skydiving over Sedona, Arizona? Raise your hand. Okay, fair amount of you. All right. Who thinks number two is true, that I uh, was once <laughs> operated on by Michael Jackson's plastic surgeon? Okay, all right, not as many, but a decent amount of you. Uh, who thinks, thinks it's number three? I once rode my bike from Phoenix to Flagstaff. All right, the majority of you think that. You, I ride bikes and so forth. All right. Uh, actually, number two is true. <laughs> yes. If, if you look at old photos of me before uh, I was 19, uh, I, have a bir- I had a birthmark right here. And uh, that birthmark was removed by the plastic surgeon who did a lot of Michael Jackson's work. So, there you go. Uh, now, my point in all that is this. Uh, your belief, or lack thereof, does not change the truth of my story. Okay? The, the truth of a story is not based on the interpreter. The truth of a story is actually based on the validity of the author. Uh, it's pretty hard to argue with someone who is telling you something true. One of the dilemmas we have had, and we're not going there this morning, but one of the dilemmas we've had over these past couple of weeks is in our country, in this confirmation hearing, we've had two people tell us conflicting stories. And as interpreters, we're trying to determine what is true. But the reality is the interpreter actually doesn't get that you might have an opinion upon what is true, but you don't make what is true true. And I don't make what is true true as an interpreter. So our text this morning is a story, someone's story. They're telling you a story. It's uh, from John chapter 9, and I'm going to ask you uh, to turn there, and I'm going to ask you to stand and read it, and I have misplaced my Bible. (laughs) This is the only time this has ever happened. Does anyone have a Bible they can hand me? Thank you, Carolyn. Yes, please stand. <laughs> We're going to John chapter 9. This is actually a, 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 
uh, not a short text, but uh, we're going to read through the whole thing because it's a person's story. And we stand because this is God's word. As he went along, he saw a man blind from birth. This is Jesus. His disciples asked him, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? Neither this man nor his parents sinned, said Jesus, but this happened so that the work of God might be displayed in his life. As long as it is day, we must do the work of him who sent me. Night is coming when no one can work. While I am in the world, I am the light of the world. Having said this, he spit on the ground, made some mud with the saliva, and put it on the man's eyes. Go, he told him, wash in the pool of Siloam. This word means sent. So the man went and washed and came home seeing. His neighbors and those who had formerly seen him begging, beg, beg, seen him begging asked, Isn't this the same man who used to sit and beg? Some claimed that he was. Others said, No, he only looks like him. But he himself insisted, I am the man. How then were your eyes open? they demanded. He replied, The man they called Jesus made some mud and put it on my eyes. He told me to go to Siloam and I washed. So I went and washed and then I could see. Where is this man? They asked him. I don't know, he said. They brought to the Pharisees the man who had been blind. Now the day on which Jesus had made the mud and opened the man's eyes was a Sabbath. Therefore the Pharisees also asked him how he had received his sight. He put mud on my eyes, the man replied, and I washed and now I see. Some of the Pharisees said, "Ah, this man is not from God, for he does not keep the Sabbath. But others asked, how can a sinner do such miraculous signs? So they were divided. Finally, they turned again to the blind man. What have you to say about him? It was your eyes he opened. The man replied, he is a prophet. The Jews still did not believe that he had been blind and had received his sight until they sent for the man's parents. Is this your son, they asked? Is this the one you say was born blind? How is it that now he can see? We know he is our son, the parents answered, and we know he was born blind, but how can, how he can see now, or who opened his eyes, we don't know. Uh, Ask him, he is of age, he will speak for himself. His parents said this because they were afraid of the Jews, for already the Jews had decided that anyone who acknowledged that Jesus was the Christ would be put out of the synagogue. That was why his parents said, he is of age, ask him. A second time, they summoned the man who had been blind. Give glory to God, they said. We know this man is a sinner. He replied, whether he is a sinner or not, I don't know. One thing I do know, I was blind, but now I see. Then they asked him, what did he do to you? How did he open your eyes? He answered, I have told you already, and you did not listen. Why do you want to hear it again? You want to become his disciples too? Then they hurled insults at him and said, you are this fellow's disciple. We are disciples of Moses. We know that God spoke to Moses, but as for this fellow, we'd even, we don't even know where he comes from. The man answered, now that's, this is remarkable. You don't know where he comes from, yet he opened my eyes. We know that God does not listen to sinners. He listens to the godly man who does his will. Nobody has ever heard of opening the eyes of a man born blind. If this man were not from God, he could do nothing. To this they replied, you were steeped in sin at birth. How dare you lecture us? And they threw him out. Jesus heard that they had thrown him out, and when he found him, he said, Do you believe in the Son of Man? Who is he, sir? The man asked. "Uh, Tell me so that I may believe in him. Jesus said, You have now seen him. In fact, he is the one speaking with you. Then the man said, Lord, I believe, and he worshipped him. Jesus said, For judgment I have come into this world so that the blind will see, and those who see will become blind. Some Pharisees who were with him heard him say this and asked, What, are we blind too? 
Jesus said, if you were blind, you would not be guilty of sin. But now that you claim you can see, your guilt remains. Let's pray. Holy God, we are grateful for your word. Uh, We are grateful, God, for this story. And we pray you would minister now to us. Open our eyes. Open our hearts. Open our ears. We want to know you more. In your name we pray. Amen. So we have been in this series we've uh, called Bless, where we have sought to explore five missional practices to help us simply participate in what God is doing in the world in blessing people. And we talked on the first week about how if we go all the way back to Genesis, we see that God had promised Abraham that through the line of Abraham, every person on the face of the planet would be blessed. And we find that blessing in Christ We, the church, are the body of Christ on earth, and so we get to participate in the blessing. And at first, if you think about it, it seems like a huge task. How in the world can I be a part of God's blessing? But it's really done in very practical ways. And one of the things we've tried to do is see, well, as we move through life, what are the most practical things we can do to be a part of God's blessing? And so the first one was the B, begin with prayer. On a daily basis, it's very easy for every one of us to start the day and say, you know, Lord, I want to be a part of what you're doing in the world. Help me see the divine appointments you have uh, prepared for me on this day. So you begin with prayer. Secondly, we listen with care. People don't care how much you know until they know how much you care. And the first act of love is listening. So while we may have people in our neighborhoods, in our schools, in our places of business with whom we disagree, could be politics, could be uh, issues of faith, it doesn't matter. Listening to their story is part of the way we participate in the blessing. I want to hear why you think the way you think. And closing this and opening these is very helpful as we seek to love others. And then the, the E, I love, my favorite one, eat together. For the history of humanity, people have shared a blessing with another simply by having a meal together. And one of the greatest things you can do to participate in God's blessing is by sitting down with someone who maybe thinks you disagree with them on some things. Who maybe thinks, you know, I don't know if Pastor Brad likes me. Me sitting down and having a meal with them is, hey, guess what? I'm crazy about you. I actually really like you. And I want to hear your story. And then the first S, serve and love. And so going out of our way as we move through life and serving those people who not, you could serve the people in the church. That's great. I love it when you serve me. (laughs) I love it when I see you serve each other. But serving, serving people who don't know Christ yet is a beautiful, magnificent, wonderful way to be a part of God's blessing. And then finally, the S today, share your story. And what I want to do today is so simple. Again, you're going to, I'm going to get done. You're going to think, why, why did I need to hear that? This is so simple in the telling. It's challenging in the application. All right. So we're going to talk about three stories. The first is this story of the blind man. And I'm going to do something just a little different from a typical sermon. I want you to imagine that you are sitting at a Starbucks or at a restaurant, listening to the blind man's story. 
So we'll start there, and then you'll hear two more stories. So imagine this. Here's the blind man sitting over a cappuccino or a latte with you, and he says, oh, I was blind from birth. No light, no shapes, nothing. The darkness for me wasn't even dark. It, it, it just was what it was. I didn't know anything else. Sounds, smells, touch. This was the way I kind of just navigated my way through the world. Was it sufficient? I didn't really know anything else. I guess if everyone else had been born blind, it would have been sufficient, but I was blind and everyone else could see, so it actually made life somewhat hard. And my parents did the best they could to protect me. They kept me indoors as much as possible, afraid I'd wander away. They tried letting me play with other kids, but they didn't have eyes in the back of their heads, so they, they couldn't see when the kids hit me and then ran away or mocked me. They didn't see me punching the air trying to defend myself. Worst part was I knew my parents loved God. They were good, righteous, Torah-observant Jews. But I could hear the whispers of my aunts and my uncles, the neighbors. (laughs) What sin could cause such a poor curse? This poor child The sins are passed down from generation to generation, they would say to one another. My parents, of course, were not wealthy people. They uh, did their best to care for me, but they couldn't do it forever. And so what ended up happening was I, I had to do the only occupation available to me, really. I became a beggar. The best place to beg is near the temple. And the best day to beg, you probably won't imagine this, but the best day to beg was the Sabbath. You know, I, I could make more on the Sabbath than I could make in a whole week. But the Sabbath was also the cruelest. Uh, it was normal for these rabbis and their disciples to pass me on the Sabbath. And I would often end up the topic of their lesson that day. The rabbi and the disciples, they would use me as an object lesson, and uh, the rabbi would field questions about my malady and uh, the fall of humanity and how these things relate to each other. And they would talk to each other as if I was deaf, too, but I, of course, wasn't. I, I heard every word. There was one day, though, when a rabbi came, and his disciples, they were asking about me. Sorry. One student in particular really made me mad. Uh, He said, teacher, who caused this man's sin, his parents or himself? So, I mean, imagine how that worked in my brain. So, and I'd heard it before. Either I had somehow sinned in my mother's womb, because I was born blind. Either I had sinned in my mother's womb, or else my parents who loved me and cared for me and fed, fed me and, and put a roof over my head, they'd done something so heinous that their child had to be stricken blind for the rest of his life. I mean, if God was their God, I didn't want this God at all. So this rabbi, he said something and instructed me. He was the first rabbi I'd heard say it wasn't my fault. With great compassion, he said, 
It actually wasn't my sin or my parents' sin. (laughs) My heart skipped a beat. He said my blindness was given so the work of God might be seen in me. This was the first time I'd ever heard a teacher say that, uh, that God wanted to use me for anything good. And then something strange happened. I heard him spit. Now, I'd heard people spit in my vicinity often, but this time nothing hit me. I could hear him next to me. His hands were in the dirt. I wasn't anticipating the touch on my eyes, but his touch was very gentle. He rubbed the mud and he, he, he put it on my eyes. And then he told me to go wash in the pool of Siloam. I got up and, and I found my way to the pool and I knelt down and I, and I cut my hand in this water. And, and I washed the mud from my eyes. But when the water touched my eyes, suddenly I felt a rush of something I'd never experienced before. Light. Huh. It, it was almost painful. It was so bright. I fell back and, and suddenly a world that I'd never experienced before rushed into my senses. It was overwhelming. Suddenly there were shapes and there was clarity. Suddenly I was able to connect all these different pieces, you know, the smell and the touch of the water. Now I could actually see the image of water. The great mystery of smell and sound suddenly became a masterpiece as all the pieces were put together and I could see I'd been healed. I prayed it wouldn't be taken away. And as I made my way home, some of the people, they saw me along the way. <laughs> some of them recognized me. And they asked me if I was the blind man. Others said, no, I was someone else. I told them, it's me. I told them my story. I told them about the rabbi, the one they called Jesus. He, he found me. He put some mud on my eyes, told me to wash in the pool of Siloam. And now I could see. Some of them argued about it and debated Some thought I was a miracle. Others called me a liar. But, you know, think about it. Who would actually lie about this? So they brought me to the religious leaders. I shared my story. I told them about Jesus and the mud and the washing in the pool and the light rushing in. And instead of them rejoicing, I could see they argued about whether a person from God would do such a thing on the Sabbath. I mean, who cares what day it happened on? I once was blind, but now I could see. They asked me who I thought I was, who who I thought he was. Well, I told them he was a prophet. I mean, anyone who could open my eyes so I could see what is true had to be a prophet. Some said he was wicked, and they argued with the ones who said he was sent from God. It It was the first time, actually, I'd ever seen anger in people's faces. As they debated, they came to the conclusion that they didn't believe my story. They wanted to talk to my parents to verify whether I really was blind from birth. So I waited a few hours until my parents arrived. And when they walked through the doors, think about it. (laughs) I actually saw my mother's face for the first time in my whole life. And she was afraid. There were tears in her eyes. And I saw my dad for the first time in my Life And I saw his hands on my mother's shoulders, those large calloused hands. They had held me very often, but I'd never actually seen those calloused hands. 
And these religious leaders, oh, they just laid into my parents. They, they put them in this impossible position. They, if they, they said this man was from God, my parents said this man was from God, and he wasn't, my parents would somehow be participating in a lie. If they said he was from God, and it proved he was, they would be calling all these religious leaders liars. Their whole lives in the community was actually at stake at this particular moment in time. With a simple decree, this religious leaders could excommunicate my parents from the community of their people. They'd be banished from the synagogue, from their family, from their jobs. So my parents then deferred the responsibility to me. They all looked at me once again. They wanted to hear my story. They kept asking me, because they wanted me to change my answer. But I couldn't do it. What had happened was so simple. They touched my eyes with the mud and the spit. I washed in the pool. And now I can see. I knew they didn't believe it. But their lack of faith didn't make my story untrue. They were trying to make the truth not true. They're trying to take away what God had actually done. So I asked him, do you want to be his disciple too? Oh my goodness, that kicked the hornet's nest. They began to insult me, told me I'd been steeped in sin since my birth. They kicked me out of their presence. So I left. And I made my way out. I sat down. I had my sight, but my parents were afraid to be associated with me now. Hmm. And the most powerful people in the community, they'd all rejected me. And then, I saw the rabbi Jesus walking toward me. And he, he walked with such um, confident, joyful authority. He'd heard about what had happened. And he came to be with me. He asked me a very important question. He asked me if I believed in the Son of Man, the one spoken of by the prophet Daniel, the one they called the Messiah who would come and he would set things right under his rule and his reign. Who is he, I asked. Tell me so I, I may believe in him. Then with the gentlest of eyes and with great love in his voice, he said, you're speaking to him now. I couldn't help myself. I, I fell to my knees and I worshipped him. How could I do anything else? I, I once was blind, but now I could see. And, and not only could I see, but I was looking at the Messiah face to face. And the amazing thing was he didn't reject me. I had to worship. He accepted me like a, like a father accepts a loving child. He told me why they why he told me why he'd come. He said he came into the world to bring everything into the clear light of day. So those who never see will see, but those who've made a great pretense of seeing will suddenly be exposed as blind. And suddenly the words of the prophet Isaiah came flooding into me. I knew them, my people knew them. When the Messiah came, he would proclaim good news to the poor. He would proclaim freedom. For the prisoners and recovery of sight for the blind. And set the oppressed free to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. 
And I knew then what I know now. God's future had rushed in and flooded my present. The age to come had come. So, question. What if this story is true? Hmm. It's very hard to argue with someone's story. I promised three stories. Here's the second. This is Mandy's story. Watch. I got married for the first time when I was 20. We were both really young, and it was uh, all new. We didn't know what it would take to build a healthy relationship. Uh, Over the span of three years, we... Come and rest here, huge for you now. You'll find his peace and know you're not alone anymore. You'll find his healing. Your heart isn't shattered anymore. Breathe in, breathe out. He is here. Over the last few years, uh, I found a church home at Faith Covenant Church in Burnsville. God has really restored my worth completely. I know that I have worth because I'm created in him. Um, I have bought a business. I have a peaceful home for my two kids. Um, I even have been blessed with a man that shows me daily what it means to have a relationship rooted in Christ and to be uplifted and we'll be getting married soon and very thankful for that. 
If I could say one thing to somebody who's watching this, I would say, I don't know what you've been through. I don't know what you've done. But what I do know is that God loves you and he created you. He wants an intimate relationship with you. You're beautiful and you're a masterpiece because he made you. So what if that story is true? It's pretty hard to argue with someone's story, isn't it? Third story. Dave and I grew up in Phoenix uh, together. We went to high school together. Uh, Dave and I have stayed in touch for uh, all these years, uh, 34 plus years now. And uh, Dave travels all over the world. And even through all this traveling, we always seemed to stay in touch. Dave came to visit me in, uh, when I was living in Cottage Grove. He came to visit in 2006, and uh, he arrived, and I was so excited to see him. And we, sat, we were sitting in the living room, and uh, we were talking. And suddenly he says, oh, I want to go get something. And <laughs> first of all, please forgive me. I keep getting emotional. I'm not exactly sure this morning, <laughs> but <laughs> I don't know. Getting hit by a truck makes you more emotional, I think. <laughs> um, so Dave goes out, and he, and he comes back, and he brings this envelope. And uh, he says, I, I wanted you to know that I kept this. He wasn't crying. I am. <laughs> and, um, and he opened it. And I'll, I'll be honest with you. I don't even remember that I, I had written this. But I had written, back in the early 90s, a, a letter to him. And... Uh, and I, I had just shared my story of faith. And, uh, you know, I was, it was very simple. It was, um, you know, concise. I essentially, in, in, in so many words, said, uh, I once was blind, but now I see. And I, and I want to tell you about this because it's changed my life. And I want you to know that God's love, God loves you, and he's, he's crazy in love with you. And, um, and what's interesting is I felt able to do that one, because I knew I loved Dave, but I also felt comfortable, comfortable to do it because I knew Dave loved me. And so there was freedom in this relationship. It was okay to be honest about something that I knew he didn't necessarily agree with, um, but because he cared for me and I cared for him, it was okay to get intimate uh, in, in that way. And um, I'll be honest with you, I, I don't know Right now, where Dave is on his faith journey, um, I don't know whether he's crossed that line of faith, but I do know, and that, and that incident actually said to me that he prized that. That meant a lot to him. He, he, he got a letter, and then over 10 years later, he had held on to it because it meant something to him. And I guess um, I, I, have, I close with a simple question for you. Who needs to hear your story? Who needs to hear your story? Is there someone you love? Maybe they're a skeptic. Maybe they're just not sure what they believe. You know, they don't buy the whole Jesus thing. But they'd be open. Because they do care about you. They'd be open to you sharing your story with them. Also, just another incident. I, I, 
uh, years later, uh, we had a grad school reunion, and um, a, uh, a, a woman that I had gone to grad school with recalled to me in, fr in front of the rest of the group when I had prayed for her like 20 years earlier, and I don't even remember doing it, but she said, I just wanted you to know that meant a lot to me. You see, these things that we do as a part of our faith, just being followers of Christ who love others, they actually kind of change the world a little bit. And so, who do you need to pray with? Who needs to hear your story? Uh, sharing your story is very easy. Beginning, middle, end. Where were you before? How did God bring about change? Where are you now? It's not hard. Now, I guarantee you this. If a name is coming to your mind right now, I promise you, God is already at work in their life, drawing them to himself. This is what God is up to all the time. And so you sharing your story, God's already preparing their heart for this. And so why not? Tell someone else. I once was blind, but now I see. It's pretty hard to argue with someone's story. Before we're done, I'm going to invite Jane Palmer up. Jane has an, uh, an interesting opportunity for our women's ministry, and I am going to, you can grab that right there, Jane. I'm going to let her share about it before we're done. Thank you, Pastor. It's Hello? on. Is it on now? Mm -hmm. Thank you. Well, I'm excited to share about an opportunity that is going to be coming up here October 16th, and it's called Christmas Gatherings. Christmas Gatherings is a ministry that's actually been going on for over almost 40 years. Um, it's local, it's national, it's international. I don't know if you knew this, Brad, but what's really exciting is um, it started in Lakeville. This summer we had a guest speaker, um, Brad Bademan, and his mom, Joyce, is the founder of Christmas Gatherings, which has spanned, like I said, almost 40 years and has um, created thousands and thousands of decisions for Christ. So what is a Christmas gathering? It's simply a holiday party. It's an opportunity where you invite friends and neighbors and coworkers to your home, and you lavish them with hospitality and good food, which is the E, of course, eating together. You have a time of sharing Christmas traditions, sharing story, and listening, the listening that comes in to bless. Um, and people are just so honored when you listen to them. And then you have a speaker who presents a very brief and non-threatening presentation of the gospel and an opportunity to respond. It's important to know that when you host a Christmas gathering, you are not the speaker. So you don't have to get really nervous about that. You have someone else speak. And two things we know about the Christmas season. One is it's the time of year when people are most open to having spiritual conversations. The second thing, contrary to what Christmas looks like around us, where everyone's happy and everyone's gathering, is there's a lot of people in a lot of pain around Christmas time people who are lonely and isolated. And the fact that you would invite them into your home and offer food and friendship and fellowship is an incredible gift that you could give them. And then we know, as followers of Christ, that to offer them a brief, non-threatening presentation of the gospel is the greatest gift that we could give anyone 
at Christmas time. So I'm also, I've been involved in this in about 15 years, and I'm also excited because it just fits exactly with who Faith Covenant is. Gather. So we're going to gather for a Christmas gathering training, and then we're going to gather when we have Christmas gatherings, and then grow. This training is going to give you an opportunity to maybe learn a little bit more about how to give that brief, non-threatening presentation of the gospel. It will give you an opportunity opportunity to grow in outreach. It'll give you an opportunity to grow in hospitality. There's just so much growth opportunity. And then go. We have the opportunity to go back to our homes and our neighborhoods and our communities and open our homes with the love of Christ and a lot of good food and a new relationship, which is what we're all about here at Faith, is relationships. So I'm inviting you ladies. There are couples Christmas gatherings, and maybe we'll do that sometime. But I'm inviting you ladies to my home. So I'm going to have the Christmas gathering training at my home because we're a little bit under construction here. It's on Tuesday, October 16th, and I believe there's information in the worship folder about that. I encourage you to prayerfully consider you know, is God calling me to this this year? So if you feel like it's time that you want to reach out in your neighborhood or you feel called to be a speaker, um, then I invite you to join us on Tuesday, October 16th, and I'm excited to see what God's going to do this Christmas season through Faith Covenant. Thank you. Thanks, Jane. Why don't I pray? <clears throat> Holy God, we are grateful that... We discover who we are in your story, and we're grateful, God, that your story is all over our story, and we get to be a part of something far bigger than ourselves. I do pray, Lord, that you would take each of us, and you would move us from here now to participate in all that you're doing in the world, and Lord, give us the boldness to give voice to you curing our blindness so that we can now see. In your name we pray. Amen. Before we dismiss, Vicki has an announcement. Well, good morning. Uh, Brad, thanks for that message.